Genesis chapter 12, please. Genesis chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, and we'll read verse 1. This passage <clears throat> is the beginning of the life of Abraham as he leaves his homeland for a better land, a better country, as the Bible says. God prepared a glorious land for him to move into. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise with you. You're going to be a successful nation. Your people will be a great and mighty people. But I need you to walk by faith and to trust me and to leave your homeland for glory land. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> now the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and to the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. The problem with nowadays in Christianity is God has given us a glory land. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in glory land. That hymn we sang was not a coincidence that we started. Maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking to us. Dwelling in Beulah land. Do you see yourself as living in Beulah land? Do you see yourself enjoying God's glory land? God has provided your needs, has blessed your life, given you a home and a church and Bible-believing people around you in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the, in the midst of this wicked day and age, and you've seen Him answer prayers beyond what you could see what he's done in your life. He's done such glorious things, wonderful things, and his blessing is all around you. And a lot of people enjoy it and love it. But there are times that the flesh kicks in and we lose our desire. There are those moments that people see glory land but are not really into it. And they're into their own homeland rather than glory land. There are times that people want to be in glory land, but they don't realize how much they have to sacrifice to stay in there. Now, what we have is something very, very precious. I've been to Bible-believing churches around the world, and we have to realize this. Our church is one, so it's not the only one, obviously, but it is one of the most unique Bible-believing churches I've ever been to, and that's not because that I'm great and you're great. It's because our God is so great that he could have given it to so many other better people but he's given it to us. We're such a very unique church. And God has called us out of our Babylon 
into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of Canaan, but we don't long for it as much as we should. If there is such a crave, a desire, a longing for glory land, then perhaps you can see the value behind it. Perhaps you can see why it's worth driving three hours for it. Perhaps you can see why it's worth it to go through this hell hole in the Bay Area just to keep staying in here and not to move to Florida and Idaho. (laughs) But why are we that foolish enough to think that, right? I mean, if I was a typical person living in California, I would have moved out a long time ago. There's only one thing that's keeping me here. It's glory land. There's something real that God has given to me after so many years. And why lose it now? Oh, I long glory land. I enjoy glory land every Sunday and Wednesday. And not only that, when I'm by myself with the Lord. I hope that this sermon can speak to you and that it can change your life. The title of my message today is Longing for Glory Land. Let's pray. Father, make that song real to us. Tis marvelous and wonderful. Dwelling in Beulah Land, we don't realize that the half has never yet been told. And I pray that Glory Land will become real today. It has been blinded by sin, by the wickedness of this world. And I pray that you fill within me your Holy Spirit. I'll need every out of your Holy Spirit that you can give to me that can speak to these people and preach and change them because I can't do it. I'm weak in the flesh. Forgive me, Father. Cleanse me of my iniquities and use me once more for your glory and not for mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. My first point is the sacrifice. The sacrifice. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Now notice that God, the very first thing that he wanted Abraham, uh, Abram in this verse, I'm going to go alternate with Abraham and Abram. But what he told Abraham is that when he gave the promise at verse 2, the first thing is you need to leave Babel. During the old days where Abraham used to live was Ur of the Chaldees. And that was part of the empire of ancient Babylonia or Babylon. And God said in order for you to enter glory land, you need to move out first. You need to move out of your world, out of Babylon. It is quite a sacrifice. He had to give up everything. His father, his family. God says don't take anyone with you. It's just you and Sarah. And you're supposed to leave everybody behind, your, your, the people that you greatly love, the things you greatly love, and to go out by faith if you want glory land. Now the problem with Christians nowadays is that they don't understand in order to enjoy glory land, you need to sacrifice something first. You need to leave something first. You think that we live in a day and age of give me, give me, give me, that it's a given. And it's an option that I come. No, you got to realize how much sacrifice was made for you to enjoy glory land. And that you just don't get it like a handout. Do you think that a blowout, a Bible believer's blowout, is just an invitation or something more than that? 
You know, people see that might see that as just an invitation to come and, you know, just to enjoy a good time. And yeah, I can see some enjoyable moments here and there. And I can't wait for the preaching and teaching. You don't think about the sacrifice. You don't think about, hey, we need volunteers for the nursery. That'll ruin your blog. Hey, we need volunteers for kitchen. But my favorite preacher is preaching that time and I might lose it. You don't think about the driving. You don't think about gas prices. You don't think about what about my work, my schedule, my home, where I have to sacrifice some time. And at the same time, you have to balance it out like a good Christian where you don't neglect your work and your family. It takes sacrifice if you want glory land. You know, you forget that out of all the shouting and the smiles and the tears and making new friendships and enjoying great preaching, that there is sacrifice behind every glory land experience. Why do we keep saying that, watch, the devil's going to attack right before summer camp? Watch, the devil's going to attack right after summer camp. Why do you keep saying that? You know why? We don't realize in order to attain a glory land experience, there must be sacrifice. You want the mountaintop? You got to climb the mountain first. That's good, brother. A glory land experience requires sacrifice. Well, it's just a little bit more extra effort. I can surrender. I can sacrifice, pastor, but it's asking me to do a little extra. Extra less sleep. Extra energy when I don't have that extra money to spend. And hey, you want an extra blessing from God? It requires extra sacrifice. That's good, brother. How did we get a church building? It gets extra sacrifice. Extra time spent out of your busy schedule. Extra energy where you labor hard to repair the building. Extra prayer and thought. If you want a double portion of God's blessing and you want to see heaven open up and you want a glory land experience, such a psyched out, joyous, blissful moment, it requires hard work, extra, extra, extra sweat, Tears, prayer, and sacrifice to build up a glory land experience. Rather than staying comfortable in your Babylonia. With all that tech surrounding you. With the office, the cars, the traffic. The bills to pay. Kids running around. Spouse to see. And Babylonia. Your own comfortable world. Your own way of used to doing things. You gotta give up some of them, and you gotta require extra sacrifice and effort on your part if you want a glory land experience. Think about it. Don't people want a glory land experience, their own vacation in a different world where they would pay extra money for a long flight? They would save up extra money so that they can enjoy the accommodations in Europe. In a foreign country, some place that they want to go, South America. They have to use extra time out of their busy schedule to make preparations and reservations. 
People all want a glory land or basically an enjoyable experience, a blissful moment in their time. But everything requires work and extra effort, not just the invitation sheet, the the volunteer sheet just passing by you and you have someone else do it. Not just someone else will take the call. Then you know what? That glory land experience will diminish. More effort from more people. Glory land has to build up higher. But the glory is departed even more when there is more work and effort being diminished. You want a glory land experience? What are you sacrificing? You want a great Bible believer's blowout? What are you sacrificing? What are you prepared to sacrifice? What do you plan to do after today to commit to, to sacrifice? And no complaining, no whining either. That always happens too. You might volunteer, but the complaining, the whining happens. Hey, that's natural if you want a glory land experience. There must be effort, extra labor, sacrifice. What are you willing to give up to feel, to see a glory land moment? What are you willing to give up? How much are you willing to give up? My second point is the significance, the significance. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Man, what a blessing. How significant, how important, how much value does this blessing contain? That's why you got to ask yourself. Oh, man, you're asking me to give up this and work hard on this one and that one. How much is it worth it to you? See, how much is fellowship worth it to you? How much is those tears, the shouting, the praises, the closeness with fellow brethren and for God to come down in our midst? How much is that worth to you? It seemed to be where some people are willing to drive for eight hours to go through uncomfortable situations in a summer camp moment. To get 50 million mosquito bites just to hear a couple testimonies. How much is it worth it to you? How much is this book worth to you? That not even one hour or 30 minutes out of your time, out of your Babylonia schedule, is worth it to you. How much is talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loved and died for you, how much is prayer talking to him worth it to you? It's not significant. And that's the devil's trick is to make it look tedious, make it look hard, make it look religious so that it doesn't become real or important to you and he glamorizes the world. And the world becomes significant to you. Money becomes significant to you. Your future becomes significant for you. Your own way of doing things becomes significant to you. Worst of all, sin becomes significant to you. And that's very sad. That's very sad. And that's the devil's trick. So that you don't, you don't experience the blessing. You miss out the glory land moment. 
Why don't you think it's worth, worth it to you, huh? Isn't church that much worth it to you? A Bible-believing church? What is a church? Not just coming here inside a building, sitting through a service. Church is whenever people assemble and you interact with that assembly. How much is that worth it to you? How much is each and every precious word from that King James Bible worth it to you to reread, to carefully read through, to not skip over, to not be distracted? How much is that worth it to you? Not much. Not much. But sin looks so tasty. The world looks so appealing. And my way seems very, very comforting. It feels great. That's the problem. That's your glory land moment. Babylonia and not the Lord's Canaan. Not the promised land. But what makes you think that you know better than God on what glory land is really like? Why disdain God's glory land and think, well, it's not really that much worth it or it's tedious too religion. Well, that might be good for you, but not for me. No, what makes you think you know better than God? If God knows your heart more than you do, if God knows your heart more than you do, and he knows what you're going to do in the future, what you're going to do right after preaching today, rather than you, don't you think he knows more than you on what's better for you? Didn't that verse say, I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither have things entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him? You know what, basically, how much God knows better than you on giving you the best things in life beyond your imagination? That's what the verse promised. That's how great our God is. He's beyond what you can ever dream. If you have enough faith to believe that he will give you a home in heaven and save you from hell, you can't have faith to believe him with your lifetime. You believe in your eternity with him, but not your lifetime with him, huh? And you just think that you know better than God with how you do your lifetime. How can you trust him with your eternity then? How did you even get saved to begin with? Yes, I believe there is significance with this blessing. It's worth it. It's worth the pain. It's worth sleepless nights. It's worth the trial. It's worth persecution. It's worth all the trial because his blessing, his glory land moment is so much valuable more than all my aspirations and dreams and desires. Yes, it's worth it. I want it. I die for it. Is that you? Is that how you feel? Is that how important it is to you? Is it like heroin where some people are just willing to do crazy things, bleed over it, even die just for that their glory land moment? That heroin? How strong is your glory land? How significant is it to you? Verse 3, the soundness. My third point is the soundness. <clears throat> Verse 3, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, notice how sound this blessing is. It's so complete. It's so pure. It's so thorough. It's so full. The blessing is so sound that basically anyone that would put a curse upon it 
they're going to automatically get a curse back. Anybody who blesses you, they're going to get a blessing. That's how powerful this blessing God has given to Abraham. How sound, how complete, how thorough it is that it has absolutely not a single flaw within it. Not a curse within it. Do you see a curse in there? God says there's no curse in this blessing. Anyone who puts a curse on it, they get the curse back. Look at two passages. Keep your hand at Genesis 12. We're going to go over there again. But go to Proverbs 10 and Isaiah 65. Proverbs 10 and Isaiah 65. Didn't you know that God said, when he gives you his blessing, there is no curse in it? There is no sadness in it? You know, the problem with people nowadays is that when they see God's blessing, they're like, oh, no, no, it's just too much sorrow, too much pain. It's not really worth it. If I get involved with his blessing of church, I'm going to get hurt because church people are the worst gossipers in this day and age. And that's the problem with us today is that we don't see the soundness within God's blessing. We see a curse within it. We see a flaw within God's blessing. My friend, you're wrong. The Bible says at Proverbs chapter 10, and notice that verse 22 reads, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 8. Verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. Man, bless God, hallelujah. You can see right here that Isaiah 65... These people, they deserve to be destroyed by God. They deserve to be annihilated. But God said, don't destroy it. I see a blessing in there. You know what the problem nowadays with people is that we get so much in despair of our sin and we think that God can annihilate us and that will be consumed in our iniquities. But God sees through all of that and said, I see a blessing in there. You know what your problem is? You fall back into the same sin again and you get depressed and you don't come back to church. You don't get right with God again. It's because you don't see a blessing in your life. You see a curse. You see sin. You see iniquity. No, there's a blessing behind what God has given to you. And one day your story, your struggle, your pain can be mightily used by God to minister to somebody else. And you can sing that song, make me a blessing to someone today. But you can't become one if you keep seeing the curse in your life. There is no curse. God has blessed you and you've got to realize that, man, all things work together for good. Even the bad that I've done. And God is such a great God. God is such a blessed God that he will take care of my life and transform my bad into something good. There is no curse in the Christian life. There is no impurity, flaw. It's so sound. It's so perfect what God has blessed with you after salvation in Jesus Christ. The life you live in is your blessed life now. No sorrow. No pain in it. 
Well, I see the bad things. God could have done it a different way. I don't know how God's going to turn that around. It's not for you to figure it out. That's for God. That's his job. He's used to, how do you turn it around? Oh, the same million times that I've done for 6,000 years. I'll turn it around. That's how great and mighty your God is. There is no sorrow. There is no imperfect within his plans. No flaws. It's perfect. It's sound. It's thorough. And he'll take care of you. So why leave this church, huh? Why abandon that book in prayer? Why give up on God? Why ruin the blessings God has given to you? Why throw it away? After all those years he's pulled you through and you finally got it. And then you throw it away. You find no value in it. A lot of times you might think, I don't see how this blessing can do some good for me. I'm fearful what the enemy might do. And the devil always put fear in our minds. What God has blessed us with, the enemy comes down and then puts fear in our mind. When we have a newborn babe born into this world and then we should be happy and experience God's blessing, the devil comes in and says, Oh, are you thinking about abortion? Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had to kick that in a little bit. That's good. Oh, you know, what about your future? What about your money? How are you going to do, uh, how are you going to handle these situations? You know what the devil's job is? To put fear in your mind and in your heart when God has intended to give it as a blessing. How can, how can anybody think of it as a curse if somebody gives you a precious gift for your birthday and say, this is a wonderful gift to you, enjoy. How can anyone be scared of that, be paranoid about that, and reject that? Just like billions of people reject the gift of God as eternal life. That's why. They think there's a sorrow, there's a curse, when there's none of that. It's pure, it's sound, and God wants to give you a happy life and bless you immensely. Thank God, not even all the powers of hell, no matter how great that devil is, he cannot steal and take away what God has given to me. And if I have a salvation that's so sound, secure, and I'm homeward bound, guess what? Satan can't take that away. If God called me to pastor this church, the devil can't take it away. If God has given us this place to worship him, the devil can't take it away. None of the powers of hell or the local cities and these communities can steal or ruin what God has given to you. Now keep it, enjoy it, realize you're protected under his wings, and thank God for what you got. Stop seeing the sorrow with your family, with your uh, current situation, work, school, and the church, and everything. Don't look at where God is bringing you in his divine plan. How he's trying to mold you and give to you. The curse is not the blessing of God. The curse is sin. Do you realize that? That's why you're not enjoying God's blessing. Because you keep seeing the curse... Within the blessing. No, no, that's wrong. You got to see the curse with sin. Yeah, come on. That's your problem. The curse is, you got to realize, the curse is not the blessing God has given to you where he financially supported your needs. No, 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 that's not the problem, okay? That's not the curse. The curse is your lust and your greed. That's why you fear the money God has given to you. 
The curse is not the financial blessing God has given to you. It's your greed. It's your lust. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself. It's the love of. It's not the family that God has given to you. That's the curse. It's the sin within the family. It's even yourself a lot of times. Yeah, that's right. That's the reason why. No, it's not the church that's a curse. What's the curse is gossip. What's the curse is somebody else's sin. What's the curse is your sin. Your own pride. Your egotism. Your lack of compassion and understanding is what robs you of your joy in the Lord. And if you open your eyes and have a compassion and understanding of other people, then you can still enjoy your blessed assurance with fellow brethren and overlook all the crud that's in the bottom and just skid through them. You know, that's your problem. That's the curse. You know what the curse is? Sin. You know what the curse is? It's your wicked heart and mind putting those thoughts and those feelings. That's the curse. Not what God has given to you. Look at verses 4 through 5. Verses 4 through 5. Of Genesis chapter 12. My fourth point is the shortcoming. The shortcoming. The Bible reads, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took his Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. Abraham's shortcoming moment here. He should have left everybody behind, but notice he didn't. He took Lot, his brother's son. He took somebody with him. God says, if you want the blessing, you want the glory land moment, you want to move into glory land, leave everything and everybody behind. But Abraham said, yeah, I did, Lord, except Lot. You know what the problem with people today is? When God wants to give you the blessing, and I mean a real glory land moment, the full blessing of God, you just fall short of it. You just fall short of it. I can tell you why church wasn't that perfect moment for you. I now know why. There's something you're shortcoming on. And it doesn't matter how well church goes and even if you had a perfect weather perfect day perfect people perfect absolute moments that meet up you will never satisfy your flesh if you have some shortcomings in your flesh that flesh needs to be fixed first so that you can enjoy the glory land moments even with faults in between that you see look at uh, keep your hand there go to Genesis 27 Genesis chapter 27 Genesis 27, verse 35. Genesis chapter 27, verse 35. The problem with people today is they want God's blessing. And, you know, you can still enjoy a blowout. You know that? You can enjoy a great revival meeting, but not perfectly. Didn't you know that? You can still enjoy one, but not perfectly. Because there's something in your flesh that you did your own way behind it. And the problem, I wonder if this is you today. I wonder 
If when God intended to give the blessing, that you didn't go God's plan and God's way, and you put your hands into the matter, and you try to steal God's blessing for yourself. When you do things your way to attain God's blessing, guess what? You're stealing from God. Look at this. Jacob really wanted the blessing. He wanted the blessing, but he didn't do it God's way. He put his hand to it, and he stole it. Look at Genesis 27, verse 35. And he said, Thy brother came with subtility and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Is that you, Jacob? Are you that person who's stealing God's blessing? Doing things your way rather than waiting on the Lord? Rather than trusting in Him, how He does things, and going by His terms no matter how much you don't like it? Is that you, Jacob, the person who rejects all that, who disdains all that, and does things his or her own way? That's a shortcut. That's easier, more comfortable for you. How many of you are stealing God's blessing right now, coming to church today and enjoying fellowship? I don't know if you understood that or if that's a sign of conviction, but are you stealing God's blessing right now? Are you stealing God's blessing right now because you keep doing things your own way and then grab God's blessing for yourself? You're stealing it. You're not following God's ways. You know, it's very sad that people, when they steal God's blessing for themselves, it's not the thorough, it's not the perfect one. Because there's something that they have a shortcoming in their flesh. And then with the shortcoming of their flesh, they said, I'm going to attain God's blessing my own way. I want to build a great church with a lot of numbers filled out. I want that blessing, and I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. And that's why people do get big churches, and they can be Bible believer, and people will respect them as Bible believers, but there's something fleshly behind that. Why? Because they did things their own way. They did things their own way. They compromised in something, and they're... Looked up as a great Bible-believing preacher when they're not in reality. Why? Because they did things their own way. Sometimes people want God's blessing their own way. It doesn't have to be numbers in church. It can be other things in life. It could be a great job, great life, finding a significant other to marry. Whatever it is that you want from God... As a blessing, people do it their own ways and they're hypocritical and they're lying through their teeth when they say, yeah, God's the one that gave this to me and you give a false testimony when you did it your way, not God's way. How many pastors, even pastors are guilty of that? Trying to show off to other pastors so that they can follow their example when those pastors did it their own way rather than God's way and sell out books, you know, how to build a bigger church, how to become a better pastor when they did it their way, not God's way. How guilty they are. How guilty they are. 
And guess what? Those kind of big, huge ministries that, wow, what, what a blessing from God. No, that's not a perfect blessing. Uh -huh, that's, real. that's not a perfect blessing. That's probably a halfway blessing. Okay. That's probably a three-quarter blessing and not full blessing. And people, this is the worst part. You ready for this? People are content with that. People are satisfied and content with a partial blessing from God. As long as I do it my way, you know, I know I have a shortcoming, but as long as I keep this sin, keep this worldly thing, you know, even though I don't get the full blessing of God, that's okay. I'm content. I can be happy in a blowout meeting while going back home and keeping my sin. I can be happy with this job that I'm doing for the church and help out other people win souls to Jesus Christ while retaining this worldly job that is not God's will. I can do that. And people are content to live that way. You know, you know what kind of Christianity I'm talking about today? 99% of Christians today. They're serving two masters. The world and God. And they're content to live that way. You know, all I can say is that's really sad. It's so sad you don't want the full blessing of God. You are content and satisfied with a partial blessing from God. It's like those poor drug addicts where they're out on the street. And if only they can understand real, genuine happiness by just cleaning up their act, getting their home together, getting a successful family and so healthy social interactions a healthy body, a healthy mind, free from drugs. If they can only understand that joy, if they just release themselves from drugs. But no, they're content. You got to realize this. A lot of these people, I'm not saying all, but a good number of them, you'd be very surprised. They're content with the way they live. Even though they smell, even their clothes are bad, but they're content. You know why? They get food and clothes provided as a handout. And also they can get free money from people and buy whatever drugs that they need to make them feel good. And they don't have to work at a job. And they don't, they just want to be, they just want to chill. Just don't want any restrictions. Don't want to do anything. And they're content to live that way. That's a sad prison. That's all I can say. I don't know how to get you out of that prison of being satisfied and content with a partial blessing from God while being enslaved by the world, by those drugs. I don't know what else to say to you. All I can say is that's just sad. Just like those drug addicts on the street. You're content, satisfied. What, can I, what else can I do for you? It's so sad. Some of you are stuck in that prison. Look at verses 5 through 7. The settling... The settling. Look at verses 5 through 7. Of Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham took Sarai. Uh, excuse me. Verse 6. We'll look at verse 6. Uh, we'll start at verse 5. Sorry. And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son. And all their substance that they had gathered. And the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west 
and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Notice that Abraham, he's trying to settle in glory land. Now, the problem with people is they're not settling on the glory land God has given to them. You know, we get excited, right, about, hey, the church has its own land now, basically, its own place to worship God. But then, you know, they don't settle in. Instead, they look at the deficiencies and they go, you know, the air conditioned heater is not working as much. You know, those pews are dirty. Oh, I don't think we can have a revival the very next day because of all of these stuff. Oh, man, oh, I'm not excited to go to church anymore. And you know what your problem is? When God has blessed you with something, you're not settling in. Instead, you're just trying to find problems, problems, problems. You know what, the, what, you know what people do once they move in? They want to settle in. All right. Sure, there's problems here and there, but you know what they do? They just make the best out of it. And they get happy with whatever that they sacrificed and put a lot of effort into. You know what you need to do with the blessing God has given to you? Make the best out of it. Notice that Abraham here, he made the best out of it. When he moved into glory land, oh, guess what? The Canaanite was then in the land at verse 6. <laughs> Doesn't sound good. And God said, hey, I'm going to give you this land. You know what Abraham did at verse 8? He made the best out of it. He built an altar, called upon the name of the Lord, gave him the glory. You know what we did if God gave us this place? I'll tell you what we did when we got this place. We made the best out of it. Even though a short time gap, oh, how are we going to do it? No, no, no. We just made the best out of it. We were rejoicing in the Lord. We say, thank you, God, finally for a place where we can worship you, where we can settle down and we can just fellowship and talk for hours and just give you the glory. And yeah, blood is coming. I am so excited to do it in a new place. That's the mindset of people. And we settled in and enjoyed God's blessing. But the reason why some of you can't settle in and enjoy God's blessing is because you keep looking at deficiencies, flaws, the Canaanite that's in your land. And because of that, that just ruins your whole day. You know what I would do if I were you? Whatever money, home, provision, physical things God has given to you, the spiritual blessings, I would make the best out of it and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have a glory land moment, man. Just have a glory land moment. Even when I got married, there were, all, there were those problems with cultural boundaries. And then, you know, we didn't, uh, that place was filling up with marijuana. It was a time of COVID. And then my wife, you know, coming from a culture shock from Korea, you know, it's so dirty here in America. And then homeless people sleeping around and the crazy people screaming in the business places. But you know what? We made the best out of it. And I'll be very honest with you. Even though we went through faults and hardships, it was way better being married than unmarried. And I enjoyed it. I made the best out of it. She made the best out of it. We're happy together. Amen. We're happy, right? <laughs> you know what you need to do? You need to make the best out of what God has blessed you in your life. And sure, you know, you see all these Canaanites here and there. Make the best out of it. That is good. You want a great blowout? Make the best out of it. You want a great Christian life? 
make the best out of it. A great Christian home and family, make the best out of it. Look at uh, verses 9 through 10. My sixth point is the strain. The strain. Verse 9 and 10. And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Oh, Abram, what are you doing? He strayed from glory land. You know what the sad thing is? This is our generation. We're in that generation. A people in a glory land of what God has given to them, but they become discontent. And they look at Egypt down there. The Bible says Abraham went to Egypt. And they go, things are better down there. And they go, prodigal life, especially once they hit college years. And then they went astray. How many families have I seen whose children become prodigal? How have I seen, even in my own family tree, of relatives and family members here and there going prodigal? Why? There's a straying because they were discontent with the blessing God has given to them in glory land. And they see some, some, something out there. You know, Egypt looks better. No, it's just a fantastical picture they're trying to show you that is deceptive. You're in for a world of hurt. What made Abraham stray from glory land? What makes Christians nowadays straying from glory land. You got a home in heaven, eternal security. You got Bible-believing truth. You got a perfect book in your hand. You got a Bible-believing church. You got God providing your needs, God being with you, taking care of you. What would make you stray from all of that? You know why? Because of a famine. Because there's a famine. If you look at verse 10, why did Abram go to Egypt? There was a famine. What's your famine? Church people, they don't trust me. They said something bad about me. What's your famine? A family tree not perfect. Mom and dad saying this. Son and daughter doing that. What's your famine? Job. It's hard to find a job and then I keep searching, searching. What's your famine? Oh, it's living expenses getting higher and I don't know how to make ends meet and it's hard to keep serving God because of, because of what? It's a famine. That's the reason why you strayed. There's some kind of famine in your life. What is your famine? You know what you need to do? I don't know what your famine is, but you need to trust God and stay there. You know what Abram should have done? He should have just trusted God and buckled up and stayed at glory land. You know what your problem is? You don't stay where you are and trust God. Well, there's got to be some of that. No, no, nothing more. It's called waiting on the Lord. Just buckling up and just going through the famine. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing out there that can satisfy. No, no, no. You just stay where you're at. You just buckle up. You just go through the famine and trust God. If you got prayer, the word of God, and you got his presence with a bonus of a Bible-believing church, what more do you need? God has given you what you needed and so much more. You just go through the famine and trust him. That's your problem. 
You jump ahead of God's plan and think that I'm going to lose everything right now. My mental condition is going to crash. No, I'm going to commit suicide tomorrow. I cannot do it. And you jump ahead of God and go to Egypt and you stray from God's blessing. Well, let me ask you this one. When you went to Egypt, got away from that famine. Yeah, but it only did you temporary, temporary good. Did it fix your problem? Some of you are still going through a famine, aren't you? Look how well your way of doing things did. You're still stuck in a famine. That's good. Your way didn't really solve your problem. Are you truly happy? Are you truly satisfied? Did there's absolutely no problems in your home, in your life, in your well-being? See, it didn't save you. You know what? Abraham, he did not have to continue south at verse 9. And Abraham, Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. He didn't have to go south to Egypt to get the plagues. You know what God did at Egypt? He sent plagues down there because of what Pharaoh did with Abraham's wife. Abraham didn't have to go down to Egypt to get the plagues. He could have just stopped and said, you know what verse 9 could have done? And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, and he returned. He could have done that. He could have just said when he was going south, you know, I remember that sermon. I remember what God said. Egypt looks tempting. Famine's too tough. I remember what God promised me. I remember those times he pulled me through those trials. I believe his word. He's not a liar. I don't have to go down there. I could just go back and stay. Mm -hmm. That could be you today. You don't have to go to Egypt. Today, you don't have to experience the plagues in Egypt. Some of you are probably going south, and I mean like south. <laughs> That's how you feel like in your Christian life. It's not this, it's this. Let me tell you something. You don't have to keep going south. Turn back. Come back. Come to the altar. Every head bow and every eye shut. Do you love glory land? Do you see the joy? Are you enjoying glory land? Man, I, I'm enjoying what I have in the Lord. I've been through a lot of pain and hardship and sacrifice, but glory land is so great. I, I love it. I want to stay there. Do you long for glory land? Did your heart forget what it was like to be in a land flowing with milk and honey? Do you want your glory land moment again? Imagine living a life full of joy and peace. 
no matter how hard life will be. Imagine living a life of joy and peace, no matter no matter how many bad times come. Imagine living a life of joy and peace, where bad things can be turned into something good. Glory land. I want to be in glory land. But many people have sadly strayed, and they went to Egypt. And some of you been to Egypt. Some of you experienced the plagues there. That's why you went back to Gloryland, didn't you? Most of you don't have to be that way. You can stop going south, turn back, and stay in Gloryland. Yeah, I know the famine. The famine is what gets to you. It's a trial. It's a suffering. It's a hardship. Family problems, financial problems, work problems, even church, church problems. And yes, it can even be your own self problems. Just something you're battling within yourself. Something an internal war in your heart and mind that nobody knows, but just you. But you know, in famine, you just gotta buckle up and stay there. Store up all your food, what God has saved up for you, and use every ounce of it, and spend it, and use it well as best as you can. With every moment, with that book, every moment in prayer, every moment with your brother, sister in Christ, every moment with every good thing God has given to you. I guarantee this: not all of us is using every good thing we got well. We're wasting it. I guarantee it. There's so many good things we have in our life that God has blessed, and we are not using it, but just wasting it. They're just sitting on a shelf. You're not doing anything about it. There is no curse, no sorrow in God's blessing. Do you realize that? No sorrow. No curse in it. Just stay there. No matter how severe the famine is, just stay there. God still got you covered. God's still protecting you. You're still alive. Just stay there. There is no curse in the blessing. The curse is your sin, though. The curse is your sin. Don't let fear intimidate you. To run away from the blessing of God. Don't let depression be that sin that locks hold in your heart and mind and rob you of your joy in your Lord. The curse is not in what God has blessed you with. The curse is your sin. Look to Jesus and live. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for what you've given to us. The song that we sang at the beginning, "Dwelling in Beulah Land," perhaps you were trying to speak to us. And right after that, we were singing, "Tis marvelous and wonderful 
what Jesus has done for the soul of mine, that half has not yet been told. I pray those words will really mean to us that it's worth every effort and labor and sweat to have a glory land moment. And I pray we'll be willing to sacrifice. We'll be willing to go the extra mile to enjoy an extra blessing from you. Help us to see the value, the deep, precious value with your blessing. Do not let us stray from it and be enslaved like those poor drug addicts on the streets, just being content with a partial blessing. Content with sharing God and the world together. May we want the fullness of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.